This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Kia ora and welcome to Reserved Recommendations. This is a show about great trash, difficult art, and our complicated relationships with art and culture. My name's Hugh, I'm the host of the show, and I'd like to take this opportunity to put in a very mild content warning for the show as a whole. Sometimes our recommendations on this show are reserved just because the thing that we're discussing is in some way not good, but sometimes there are aspects of the art or artist that may be confronting for some people. Check the episode descriptions for more information, and do be aware of your listening environment. Kia ora and welcome to another episode of Reserved Recommendations. This is the very first for season four? Are we season four? I think we're season four. Um, anyway, uh, today I welcome back returning champion, my brother Angus, all the way from sunny Glasgow where it is the opposite season. So I guess you're heading into spring? Question mark? Yes. We yeah, are, spring has started to sprung. Yeah, we're just starting to get the turn of autumn, so I figured that was probably accurate. And we are today talking about a thing which suddenly became topical after I decided to, to have this conversation with you. So we're talking about the game Spec Ops The Line, and as if on cue, Spec Ops The Line has been delisted from Steam and various other um, digital storefronts. If you still have it, you can still play it, but uh, you can no longer buy it from a lot of places, though uh, as per the article on The Verge uh from the 30th of January, at that point, you could buy it from GOG. So if you have a GOG.com account and you would like to go and play this game that we're talking about, like, pause the podcast and go get it, like, now, I believe uh, because it, it may is, get delisted there as well. I believe it has been delisted ah, from GOG. Okay. Um, well, in that case, you must put on your eye patch and pirate hat in order to play this game uh, if you do not already have a copy. Um, and that's kind of interesting because uh, it turns out that yeah. the problem was music licensing, essentially. Uh, the song uses uh, Martha and the Vandellas' Nowhere to Run and Nowhere to Hide at one point during gameplay uh, and Jimi Hendrix's live version of the Star Spangled Banner as it's like uh, menu music when you first boot up the game and the licenses that 2K Games had for both of those have just run out. So they they had to delist the game, Um, which, you know, uh, Spec Ops The Line, spoiler warning, is a game that attempts to be an indictment of modern times in a number of ways. And uh, it has been struck down by something that is also kind of an indictment of modern times in my view. Um, the uh, the continuing predatory monetization of uh, of copyright from from music from dead artists or, or art from dead long dead artists. Yeah, and like I think if we're just going to like tangent immediately, and so why not? Um, like it's it's a good warning light about digital platforms and the idea that games and digital stuff is around forever 
Because um, it was kind of this idea that if it's on the internet, it's never gone. Yeah, yeah. Cory Doctorow had that uh, phrased it as etawath, everything that ever was available forever. Um, and that, it turns out, is one of the few things that Cory Doctorow has been just profoundly and fundamentally wrong about. Yeah, so like if there is a thing out there in digital land that you are particularly fond of, um, and I think like – this game definitely deserves to be preserved somehow. Um, but like, or if there is something else that you think is cool and out there in the digital world, download it onto some solid piece of media. Like, even if it's a hard drive that you throw in a drawer somewhere, put it on something. Absolutely. Uh, although with the warning that digital storage is in fact more volatile than we were told as well. You know, um, USB drives degrade with use. Uh, magnetic media is uh, vulnerable to all kinds of uh, magnetic and electrical problems, so on and so forth, so on and so forth. Uh, it turns out a lot of the grand digital promise about a permanent perfect archive was in fact lies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, downloading it so that you have a, a copy of it somewhere to hand um, protects you from somebody deciding that, in the, as in this case, it's not re not worthwhile, um, you know, re-upping the copyright and therefore it should be just not for sale anymore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so to get to the actual game itself, though, uh, Spec Ops The Line is a game which has things to say. And, and I mean, that in and of itself, is interesting for video games. Um, I didn't realise until I had already played it and looked into it that the people who made it did so uh, in in the process rebooting a dead but reasonably uh, successful like third-person shooter franchise. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Spec Ops... As a, as a lineage of third-person shooter action games goes back to 1998. Um, there are like, uh, I would have to go all the way through and, oh, let me count. I've got the Wikipedia article open. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. If you include uh, expansions as... Uh, if you include expansions as releases, there are nine Spec Ops games before Spec Ops The Line. If you don't, then there are seven. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, that's uh, pretty, like... That's that a, like, uh, yeah. And, like, I don't know. There, Like, I think there is a lot of scene setting that, that puts this game in context. Um, well, that's the other yeah, thing. Like, I wanted to mention was that like this game has it out for other video games and I had somehow absorbed in my brain and this is because of uh, the way that the environment changed drastically not that long after this game came out. I, I would also need to open another tab to make sure I get my dates right and I'm not sure if I can be bothered. We'll find out. But um, this game is a reaction against modern military shooters as they existed in 2012 when this game was created. And I had assumed that those were first-person shooters a la 
Call of Duty. Yeah, so so the big one. So this is a game um, that I started um, playing. Must have got bored of and put to one side. And then you said, "Let's talk about this." So and I had a week off work, so I I sat down and played through, um, and then went and watched a bunch of video essays and stuff about it. So the things that the the maker is um, uh, the point towards is Modern Warfare and Call of Duty, which are both first-person um, shooters. Well, and so period. the thing is that Modern Warfare and uh, sorry, what was it? Call of Duty and the other one that you said. Modern Warfare. Oh, okay. Uh, Call of Duty and yeah. No, but because Modern Warfare is a Call of Duty, I think. But anyway. Call of yeah, Duty, whatever the other big one is, is is also actually a reaction to the same game environment that this game is a reaction to. It just reacts in the opposite direction. So this game says the modern military shooter is, uh, in the words of um, Hunter S. Thompson for the Kentucky Derby, decadent and depraved. Um, and Call of Duty said the modern military shooter is like clunky and not visceral enough. Uh, <laughs> and so they are like a, a split point of divergent evolution because the modern military shooter up till Call of Duty had been third-person squad tactical games the way that Spec Ops The Line is. Um, and Call of Duty as a franchise is – largely responsible for shifting that entire genre into the first-person shooter style rather than the third-person, like, tactical squad thing. Yeah, and, like, um, also, like, uh, Call of Duty and um, Modern Warfare or whatever the other one is um, certainly also does things like uh, begin that, or sorry, those are also franchises. So it's whatever the ones that were coming out in 2012 were the ones that were starting to push towards like uh, accurate models of guns and gritty, realistic play and that sort of stuff. Um, with you know huge uh, air quotes around like um, gritty, realistic, right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like there's there is a, a focus on a particular kind of realism which uh elides a lot of the the uglier aspects of war except insofar as those are in some way cinematic. Yeah. And like while lots of people talk of this game as a reaction to those things I think, having played it recently, that it is also a very 2012 game yeah. in that you are 10 to 11 years after 9-11. You are 10 to 11 years into the forever war that was Afghanistan. Um, Absolutely. And, and also, I think, like, the... And I don't know how to what degree this is deliberate, and we can we can kind of get into it as we talk about like specifically what happens in the game. But I feel like a lot of people read this game 
as an indictment of the violence of war and and a critique of that is that 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 you see around a lot is that the game presents you with these choke points where you kind of have to make some sort of a violent choice that's going to have a really bad outcome, but you can't actually progress without doing it. So trying to hold the player morally responsible for doing something awful that you you make them do in order to progress is in some way morally invalid. And And I actually, I don't quite, I think the ending of the game invalidates that as a, it would invalidate that as a critique that the game was trying to make because there's this idea that like if you're trying to make the point that the nature of warfare is that these awful things happen to people but then your final conclusion which is the final conclusion of the game is that the protagonists shouldn't have been in the situation, didn't need to go there, and went there for entirely personal reasons, completely unrelated to anything to do with like the goals of the military campaign that they're involved in or their orders or anything like that. That that then is like a story about one guy going off the rails, not about the fundamental nature of warfare if, if you see what i mean yeah yeah i, I think that certainly like um makes sense right like it, it is not a it is um so like if you have seen um apocalypse now or red heart of darkness I think actually more if you if you have seen Apocalypse Now. Yeah, like this is a this is a game based on movies that are based on Heart of Darkness more than that this game is based on Heart of Darkness, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh but like from the opening from the opening scene, you understand that this is paying a lot of homage. I mean even from the like um menu screen you get that this is paying homage to like, you know, such movies as Apocalypse Now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I guess like there's a a, a comparison I would draw to uh, there's a video on uh, the Shadow of the Colossus and its various adaptations. I think I'm thinking of the one by Dan Olson, um, folding ideas where he talks about like lack of player agency in that game. Like there's only one way that the narrative can go. Mm-hmm. And he talks about that being like one way of thinking about it being like uh, a reenactment of a story rather than necessarily you take on a role and are like, have perfect agency within that role it's like you're retelling the story of this guy who did these things and so they're always going to do the same stuff yeah and like i think like from stuff that i have read from the people who developed this game there was a feeling of like 
you can just turn it's just a game you can turn it off and walk away if you don't like the choice um which is an interesting interesting call um i'm not sure if i buy that particular thing but certainly like um so let us quickly set the scene as much as it needs to be set uh the game play takes place in uh dubai that has been hit by a kind of unending sandstorm um and you are a a crew of delta force tactical operators sent in to uh see if enemies alive and and send in um and call for evacuation if there is if there are if there are survivors um and there is a point where your character to continues on past like discovers that there are people alive and then continues on to do more stuff and like that's that's the downfall right like that's the downfall of his character is is that that decision to go well actually i'm just going to keep going on right and so yeah sure you can't choose to do not bad things from that point but i think that's the point um yeah yeah and i suppose like insofar as it's a critique of of military uh action per se which i i mean i do think the the kind of the the eventual reveal of you know spoilers for a uh over 10 year old oh. game but let, let us stop people here it is really really worthwhile if you haven't played this game go play it now um, yeah, yeah. If you can, okay. If you can get a copy of Spec Ops: The Line, uh, and you do not know what we are about to talk about, because uh, I do not think it is possible to discuss this game in the context of a reserved recommendations episode without total spoilers. Like, I think that is yeah. just going to have to be how it is. Yeah. Pause. Pause the episode. Go play Spec Ops: The Line. I would recommend just cranking the difficulty down to easy because uh, one of the things I think we're going to talk about is that some elements of gameplay are shit. Yeah, um, especially on the PC version. Boy, howdy. Yeah, you're going to find that that if you try and play it on normal or hard, there are some points where you are just going to get mad uh, because – the challenge is unfair and the way that the like cover and dodge and squad control mechanics work is counterintuitive and also just doesn't work very well. Yeah, it is. It is a bad port from um, a console game to a PC game. If you are playing it on PC um, Which is weird because normally, like tactical, tactical or first-person shooters are much better with mouse and keys because it's easier to aim. But um, yeah, not in this case. Anyway, uh, sorry. So yes, assuming that we have got rid of all of the people who either uh, want to play Spec Ops: The Line uh, unspoiled or like haven't already played it, uh, again. This is a game from 2012. Uh, it is the year of our Lord 2024. Uh, this is 100 years in game time. Um, the final reveal of the game is that uh, 
that your main character is has suffered a break from reality and is hallucinating the the radio communications that he is getting from the commander that he is trying to find uh, and has done the entire operation off his own bat outside of the scope of his orders completely in vain looking for a dead man um and, and so what i was saying was i guess that when that's your final twist the only way in which you can critique uh war or or militarism i suppose is that i guess they they make a point about like the desire to be a hero being what leads your main character onwards i've actually forgotten the main character's name because he's such a generic like joe uh, mcmilitary guy um he really doesn't wallace wallace what yeah like it, it really doesn't matter i i think it's yeah. walker walker that's his name walker there we go he's uh it but like I think it deliberately doesn't matter in the way that a lot of military yeah. shooter protagonists are like blank slate growly men. Um, but the way in which it's a critique of m- the military and militarism is that the fact that Walker and his two crewmates, uh, Adams and Lugo, are dudes with guns l- means that violence is the outcome of every encounter – and and so, yeah. like that's sort of a critique, but the fact that the entire plot is positioned as the outcome of of Walker suffering a break from reality, pretty close to the start of the game, um, that you know th- that kind of undermines the idea that there's anything systemic at fault. So, like, so, so, I think there is a the thing that I think gets overlooked in this game is there's a, a sort of B plot um, around the CIA being in the in Dubai, mm-hmm. um, and like they are um, uh, raising the. Um, refugees against the soldiers and doing various things to mess around with. Um, but there's this kind of idea that gets brought, there is this idea that gets brought through, especially because like the CIA guy is responsible for crashing the water supply and, you know, damning everybody in the city that like, everybody would just be better if the U S wasn't involved in any way. Right. Like there's just like, there is a level at which there is a critique here, which is just like, this is partially the U S fighting the U S and secondly, like this from the civilians point of view, everybody would be better if like they hadn't turned up. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that is the way in which you can get a coherent critique out of uh, of US military adventurism out of this is that from the point at which Conrad, who was in fact in charge of the original attempt to evacuate Dubai, became involved with his I forget the name of it's like it's called the, the 33rd, 33rd, but I can't remember what the um what the 
if it's like a division or I, I can't remember yeah. U.S. Army uh, denominations of chunks of guys. Um, but the moment that the, oh, it's a battalion. There you go. The oh, moment okay. that the 33rd Battalion and Conrad got involved, everything got worse. And, and that's what, like, the realization of that is what has led in the background to Conrad's suicide, which you, like, find out uh, at the very end of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, yeah, I think that is a coherent critique, certainly. Um, I think there was a, a lot of hay made about uh, particularly the white phosphorus incident, uh, which, again, like, if you haven't played the game, that is a thing to experience sight unseen. Uh, if you have not, if you have, again, made it this far, go back, go back. Um, but there is a, a point at which you are presented with uh, too many troops to handle and you deploy white phosphorus using a, a drone and a mortar um, so that all you can see is little dots on the ground getting wiped out by like clouds of white fire and it's deliberately very evocative of the kind of like power fantasy gun emplacement sections in Call of Duty and related games. I believe yeah, that- I think it's I think it's all but ripped from like one of those games I pretty much remember that there is like a kind of famous section in either like um Modern Warfare or, or Call of Duty where um yeah, it must be modern warfare where you where you you know you're flying a, a you are a gunner in a helicopter at night or something like that. Yeah, there's I mean, and it's a, a deliberate call out to like uh, UAV footage from the war on terror and and that sort of thing as well. Like all of yeah, that, yeah. like night scope footage of really tiny figures being obliterated by bombs from a million miles away. Um, <laughs> You, you deploy white phosphorus in that manner to wipe out uh, all of the enemy troops who are in your way. Uh, and then when you walk through the, the resultant carnage, uh, you find that you have also obliterated uh, a huge number of civilians. And that moment is like it is really gnarly and really kind of viscerally affecting. And I I do think – that it is worth witnessing, um, particularly. Yeah, and like, yeah. Oh no, no you you go. Yeah. So like, there are like there is so much which is like, like there is a thing about people talking about games as art, and I think this is certainly a game that gets to be put up there as no seriously these things have been art. Because there are like there are so many really interesting and exciting choices made in this game, and one of the things is because they are saying, "Hey, we want you to stop and think about what you are doing in modern shooters." In a different game, if this was just like "Woohoo, war is cool," you would fire white phosphorus and then scene would get cut and you would go to somewhere else it would be you know your new mission bond is to or whatever but this game and it does it in a couple of places goes okay you did that now walk 
not run, not, you know, drive, walk through what you just did. Yeah, yeah. And and interestingly, like, one of the mechanics in this game is that if uh, if someone gets knocked down, you can use like a, a, a quick melee attack to, to instantly execute them. And you can't – so while you're walking through the, the aftermath of your white phosphorus bombing, before you even get to the bit with the civilians, there are just like dozens of, of enemy combatants um, who are, I think by this point, mostly also us troops you like you're you're yep. killing people who are even on your side insofar as that matters um and they're just like crawling around and begging for death and you don't get the execution prompt so you could in theory shoot them i suppose but like the ammo scarcity is a is a real thing, so that would genuinely make your ha- your progress significantly harder if you decided to. You can't just go around and quick kill them all. You you just have to walk through them, like bo- uh, moaning and in, in pain and begging for death. Yeah, and like it it is harrowing. And, like, I think there is a lot of stuff that this game manages to do because it earns it. Um, Earlier on in the, like, game, you are fired on with white phosphorus. Um, And, like, you know the tension has been ramping up so it like it can kind of make sense you're like oh well like yeah i guess that's what we have to do right um so like everything everything up to that point is earned there's you, actually you- an earlier much much more minor point that where it does something which i can't decide if i like or not it's right at the point where you're presented with this situation where elements of the 33rd are rounding up civilians and your character interprets that as they're like concentrating them to do something bad because the civilians are trying to get away from them. Um, mm-hmm. And it's later revealed that they were probably trying to put them somewhere for safekeeping so that they could attempt to make another evacuation attempt and that that's what you stymied with your white phosphorus attacks and, and those were the people that you killed. But there's a point where you're kind of shooting your way through these these soldiers and one of them chases a, a civilian woman towards you and you will be by that point so conditioned to shooting that you have a good chance of shooting her. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did. I, I Because I was like – already so so conditioned and harried by the game that when a fast-moving thing came at me, I just blasted it down. And the thing I'm not sure whether I like or not is that the game lets that pass completely without comment. Like, it yeah. makes you walk through the aftermath of the white phosphorus thing. But if you shoot that woman, you just shoot her. No one ever mentions it. No one... Like, you don't 
have to sit with that because you will continue to be under pressure. She's being chased by an armed guy who will shoot at you, so you have to also fight him. So it like the game immediately moves on from it, but it's a thing that just will happen. Uh, yeah. And and if you don't correctly identify the target, you will just gun the civilian down. Yeah, yeah. I like. I think there is certainly a, a feeling um, that this game. This game sets up a bunch of bait and switches, right? Like it sets up a lot of things and goes, well, actually, no. Um, like it, I think that is something that it does well, and maybe, maybe could be argued that is part of it. Um, uh, because, like, even in the beginning, right, your first people that you meet are, um, what are, what we believe are, you know, refugees, you know, the first hostiles are just, you know, refugees. And, like, if we're going to be really blunt about games of that era, random Middle Eastern man with AK-47 was the default um, antagonist at that time, right? Yeah, and, and they do immediately shoot at you, which is, like, later proved to be a reasonable thing for them to do but also puts you in the position where you kind of have to shoot back because that is the verb with which you interact in this game. Um, yeah. But yeah, like they are, they are absolutely doing that on purpose. Um, but very quickly, like you don't, you, that doesn't stay like you very quickly switch um, in the game from that being your, um, from your primary enemy to other US soldiers being your primary enemy. And it's like, I think a less thoughtful, less uh, well-planned game would have just, you know, quite happily fallen into lazy tropes for much longer. Yeah, I th- I think so. Uh, I So we are at a fascinating point in our conversation, but it is time for us to take our halfway break. So we are going to do that now and we will be back right after this. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. You're listening to Manawatu People's Radio This is Reserved Recommendations, a radio show and podcast about great trash and difficult art. And uh, this episode, I am talking to my brother, Gus, about the game Spec Ops The Line. Um, you were just saying that uh, a less 
thoughtful game would ha- it could easily have fallen into like lazier tropes particularly with the kind of uh foreign setting um like they're deliberately kind of playing around with with white savior narratives and that kind of thing um i think a point of comparison there would be like max Payne three uh max Payne three i really like i really like all of the max Payne's. i am a max Payne head if you will but uh Max Payne 3 makes a lot of hay out of Max being like this dumb American white savior. Uh, it's set in South America and and the main character is kind of uh, manipulated by various factions to do violence against their enemies in a complicated plot that's not really worth going into here. My point is just that like the game makes a lot of hay out of Max being manipulated into being this kind of uh, American white savior who just comes to a foreign country and does a bunch of violence. But in commenting on that, you also spend a lot of time shooting brown people who speak Spanish. Um, And so like you run into that challenge of trying to satirize a thing without just doing the thing yeah um like and i think there are definitely i like i think again like it's a weak criticism of this game that 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 it does the same thing right like that it does the like oh but you're just making like a fun shooty runny shooty game yeah, I mean, um, it's it's interesting, right? Because you talked about bait and switches, and I think that there is like a fundamental bait and switch at the core of the game because part of the way that it operated when it first released, and this is part of the experience that you can never get back really because kind of anyone who knows anything about this game knows at the very least that it is – it is in some ways uh, a critique and inversion of, of modern military shooters from its time. Um, but it set itself out to present like a modern military shooter. Like yeah. their goal, as far as I can tell, was it to f- for it to feel like you were playing a modern military shooter that was going mad around you. Um and one of the ways that they do that is like they have all of the standard like multiplayer and all of that stuff uh yeah right there in the main menu to say like this is this is uh a game that you can have as like game as sport or game as as like collective hobby the way that uh a call of duty or something is like we're setting you up to believe that you're going to play through the campaign to get a sense of how this game goes. And then you're going to sit down with your friends uh, or maybe like remotely with your friends and play a whole bunch of deathmatch spec ops the line, which is just like, once you've actually played the game, that sounds awful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And like, that's the thing that like, it's really in like, I think is really useful um, to try and get into people's heads is how well crafted the downfall 
of Walker is and how much that affects you as the player's experience, right? So one of the, like, the things is, is this is a game where you will die a lot and, you know, be back on a loading screen. And at the start of the game, the loading screen will be things like, hey, you can, like, get your teammates to help out. Walker used to serve with Conrad. Um, you know, Adam's favorite thing is whatever. Uh, let me see if I can find some of the stuff. Towards yeah, but the end of the game, the like loading screen says things to things like to kill for yourself is murder, to kill for your government is heroic, to kill for entertainment is harmless. Yeah, yeah, no, they are like absolutely. Uh, like degrading the fabric of the actual game around you as it happens. Um, And one of the things that I found interesting is like there is a PS3 look, right? So this game was released as a, as a, in the PS3 era. Um, I don't remember what Xbox version that is because I hate Bill Gates with the power of a thousand suns. Uh, and so I, I interact with his products as, as little as I can feasibly manage despite doing everything on a Windows platform. Um, and that's why I hate Bill Gates with the power of a thousand suns. However, uh, it, there is a PS3 look, part of which is that everything glows in a really – unpleasant and unhealthy looking way um yeah and and like that's effective for this game but also that's just how everything looked but like playing it with all of the settings turned all the way up on my modern gaming laptop this game looks quite good yeah yeah like i think that's the other thing right like it um it is also like a a testament to you know we used to make stuff no um but like uh (laughs) But, like, no, really, like, uh, less about, you know, how many uh, polygons there are in things, but, like, you know, there are artists on the Jaeger team, Jaeger being the developer. Um, uh, There are artists whose job it is to make things look good. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I would connect this with the first, like, Bioshock game. I'm just looking that up to see when it came out so bioshocks 2007 it's also published by 2k although like it's a different studio within 2k but there are lots of moments as you're going through dubai which i think was deliberately chosen for this reason where you get like the bioshock completely deranged opulent spaces hopelessly ruined vibe Yes. Yeah. Um and and that stuff is just gorgeous. Yeah. Um and like the, like this reminds me of like another thing that um as I said I, I kind of got obsessed with this game for a moment after finishing it and watched a bunch of people talk about it. You may not have noticed, but you only ever go down. I had not noticed that, but you are correct. But- you only ever descend in this game. Um, which is, again, like, it's it's not something that you notice until somebody points it out, but that somebody has put that much thought into stuff. 
um, does affect your feelings, I think. Yeah, and and like you're right, and some jiggery pokery has happened in order to make that happen because you do go from like walking through the desert to descending a skyscraper, and so they have to kind of elide that transport so that you don't feel yourself climbing. But you're right, you only ever walk along or go down. Yeah. Um, And like, yeah, like, it's really also an interesting study in the little bits, because as you said, like, you can um, melee attack, execute people on the ground, and it starts off as a pretty perfunctory exercise, but as Walker gets more insane, it becomes more brutal. And it's not something that you really notice until you notice it. And you're like, that seemed a little bit like a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and towards the end, you get a guy who recognizes you and uh, tell, begs you to stop uh, before you do the execution. Again, like – it slightly under uh, it slightly undercuts itself because if you don't immediately kill that guy, then he will kill you. And so, like it, that was the one point where it felt like it was just a touch cheap for me. Um, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it did feel a bit like it did feel kind of cheap, Pete. Yeah, it, yeah. that that bit felt because it was actually in the flow of gameplay uh, addressing the player rather than the character necessarily and then punishing you for for listening to it, that felt cheap, Um, just to me. But, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, the the executions get gnarlier um, and – they do a really good job of uh, humanizing the people that you're killing. Uh, like there are lots of just kind of passing moments of dialogue where the people that you're about to do murder on are really normal and kind of nice to one another. Yeah. Or like, I don't know, like I think, like, shitty in, like, the sort of ways that people who work together are, right? Like, just, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are some people who are villainous, but they're villainous or who are monstrous, but they're monstrous within the context of, like, they're trying to do this military operation and these three guys have shown up and started killing a bunch of people. And that's a problem yeah. that they really need to solve before they can get on to the next thing. And because it's a military situation – solve means kill more people yeah i mean also it's just like you know there's a lot of people bitching about like cigarettes and stuff right like it's it's very just you know people who have it yeah yeah it's it's um in the in the words of uh joe kasabian of the podcast um Lions led by donkeys. Soldiers are always soldiers and will always be soldiers and have always been soldiers. There is kind of universal uh, 
like ground level grumbling shittiness that is the being a soldier experience and uh and some of the people that you meet are challenge are channeling that but like i think that's also like like important to like point out like the there would it would be again cheap heat to make them either mustache twirling um evil people or like you know here what look at this picture of my like pregnant wife and 42 orphan children that we have back home yeah no absolutely like you don't want to try and make them saintly that would be that would be too weird uh and it would it would break the um the verisimilitude of the of the setting so i think one of the things that is worth talking about before we finish because we are coming up rapidly on the end of the episode um and and look this is why you should play this game if you have decided that you should uh listen to us spoil it before you do so um there's a lot of shit to talk about (laughs) um yeah i did think that the way that like again i i did feel like the madness is kind of cheap heat as far as uh an explanation for what's going on like i i have the same thing whether it's movies or video games or whatever if the solution to like all of the awful shit that's happening is it's all in the protagonist's head even if the rest of it has been really cool or affecting or skillful or meaningful it always just makes me go just a tiny little bit inside i i I call it like one psychic damage um but i think having done that the way that it handles the ending is quite interesting yeah and like to that like again i think you're right like um it was all a dream is a bit like cheap heat uh like not cheap heat but just like it's 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 um it's it's an often an easy way out um yeah it, and it it's like it undermines the way that men- mental illness actually is in a lot of ways yeah uh it cheapens well, is, yeah is it, that being that being said like i have firstly seen like some people who are more better versed in ptsd stuff say that actually some of the ways that it talks about, like that it demonstrates, you know, in like slightly cartoony video game stylings, but like how that sort of stuff works, like there is an initial event and then something else, a loud chaotic event will set off a, um, yeah, a, a, I, a flashback. Certainly. And, and I think the way in which it communicates the, 
the way that you are channeled into violent action by circumstances that you can't really understand just happening too fast for you to process them that's really effective um, and one of the thing, one of the points they make about Walker is that he's already a veteran and one of those uh, loading screen moments that you alluded to is that he doesn't like to talk about what happened in his last dis- uh, last deployment which you know suggests that there is PTSD and that he maybe did some stuff that he's not proud of personally. Um, but the, the, it's just the specific hinge of uh, this was all imaginary. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I think I have some time for it, partially because, like, um, because it feels so close to something like... Um, Apocalypse Now, etc., etc., where, like, the end point of that movie is more to do with the main character. Like, once I had grokked that that's the journey that we were on, it kind of felt like that was the only place it could go. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, although, I mean, both Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Now end with a confrontation with uh, an actual person who exists and is still alive who has used the machinery of either colonialism or or the military-industrial complex, um, depending on which one you're talking about, to build themselves this awful private kingdom full of horrors. Um, and, yeah. and Conrad in Spec Ops The Line is actually – more innocent than that. Like he is a guy who uh, his only moral choice would have been to leave the military before the events that precipitated the events of the game. And he came into an impossible situation, attempted to do his best, discovered it was impossible and killed himself. Yeah. Well, I mean like there's lots of things like he, he's chosen to take his troop in there. Um, uh, but I mean, also I think like one of the, well, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't Conrad specifically ordered to do the evacuation. No, it, it, it's, it's set up in the, the, the ah, thing. I missed that to go in there. Right. And now um, I knew Walker chose to go in to find out what happened, but I, I hadn't realized that, uh, that Conrad chose to go in and attempt to do the evacuation. Yeah. Um, but also I think like that last reveal, if you are thinking of the game as a indictment of the player, right? Like is, is kind of necessary because it, like to drive home the, like none of this was necessary, right? Like just none of it. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, as I, as I already said, I, I feel like the game is at its weakest when it, when it's attempting to indict the player rather than make the player witness to the inhuman actions of a character who exists to do those things so you can witness them. Like, be, be, just because of the way that the game, uh, does deliberately rob you of agency so that you have to do some war crimes. Um, the the indictment of like 
are you not entertained by this carnage is a bit that bit seems is the bit that seems like the weakest of the of the critiques that the game is attempting to uh to mount yeah um yeah like i i like you know i kind of came into it um knowing that these like you know i do not have any great fondness for like modern shooters um at all like i you know i kind of agree with the game um so like there are some as you say there there are some very gripping and like effective scenes and i didn't kind of come away from that not having been affected by the game but what i found interesting was as i kind of did some reading and doing some lot of ground i saw a lot of people go no this this made me like turn off modern shooter games right like or at least have a really long hard think about yeah like, and, and i think the the critique of that style of entertainment is a bit different from the critique of the player for enjoying fictional violence, right? Like, yeah, uh, I, I, and I think that critique is is absolutely valid. I agree with you. I am, I am also not a fan of the modern military shooter, um, or the or the philosophy behind it, um, or the fact that it attempts to pre- pretend that there isn't any philosophy behind it. Um, but uh, I think. Like attempting to 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 say that you are a bad person for enjoying fictional violence is is a weaker critique. Um, yeah. Um. Yeah, like because it, like it, I think there is like. The fact that this game thinks about and tries to engage with the player is interesting. And, like, I don't know, like, again, we're not sure, like, how much that hits, but there are certainly things, like, again, as the, like, you get into the last section of the game, one of the loading screen tips is, this is your fault. Yeah, yeah, and one of the like, one of the things the game did, which I I would so I don't know if I can be bothered because some of the moment to moment gameplay in this game is, as mentioned, shit, uh, and I don't know if I could be bothered going through the frustration of doing that just to see for a second time how things play out, but. There is a subtle and crafty trick they pull where they will present you with a moral choice, like a binary choice moment, essentially, without saying necessarily what mechanical action you should take to make which choice. And so that is an interesting indictment on the player because your choices, like – your choice is defined by what action you take in gameplay and your and and it's not necessarily clear which is which so you have to do a little bit of kind of lateral thinking um and it's not always clear that you are being presented with a choice um and that's very interesting 
Yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 again like um yeah, like it, it is a very smart and well thought out game. Um Yeah, yeah. Uh and and so specifically uh there were moments where you where I was prompted to shoot one of two things or presented in a situation where it seemed like I needed to kill someone. And actually thinking back on it, and this is where the this is your fault does come in, you could actually shoot into empty space in some of those moments. Yeah. And that would probably actually count as a binary choice within the game's logic. And it would probably respond to that as a choice. Uh, and like it... It does. It, that is an interesting critique in that you will realize that you shot at something rather than at nothing because you're conditioned to do that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Definitely, there. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there are a bunch of like, yeah, of those little moments. So the final one of those, and I and I kind of want to finish here because we are running long now, uh, but is uh, the very very end of the game is one of those like choice, but not defined in a like push Y to do this thing uh, yeah, choice moment. Is that you are you are presented with a final con well actually no there isn't there is a an end point to the game that you can get to before that if you do some other stuff that we won't get into but Mm. assuming you make the kind of default player logic choice you're presented with a final situation where a convoy comes in to to try and rescue people and basically the only person left is walker um uh, now completely uh, thousand yard stare um, gone uh, armed with an anti-tank rifle and wearing Conrad's jacket and you have the opportunity because you are armed to either surrender or try to fight the people who are trying to rescue you and the interesting thing I think that the game does is that none of those are canonically the correct ending i think like yeah i i didn't have the patience to actually kill all of the troops who who are trying to rescue you there is an ending that happens if you do that and i just didn't have the gameplay chops and patience to bother doing that one but i did uh surrender and then wait out the credits and reload and fight them to see what happened in both cases and they're both quite poignant and well-crafted scenes to the point where you don't feel like one is the finger quotes good or correct and or, or bad or incorrect ending. Yeah. Um, and again, like like with all things of this game, like it's not. They're not, none of the game, none of the endings, like, give you roses, right? Like, they're not, they're not, they are, they are tying up the end of the story in a way, but none of them are, like, 
No, they're what they are is they are all good endings in the sense that they feel like a logical end point for that character and the things that he's gone through and which one of you them you choose is kind of it's about how you read where the character is at and what you think the logical the most logical end of the movie if you want to think of it in that sense like which uh final scene you think is most either effective or the best narrative uh, narratively logical end point more than it is like a reward for doing the correct thing yeah um yeah no like it like yeah again it, it it like it 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 has earned the endings that it puts on um yeah yeah and i think like maybe a, a maybe a framework that you could use if you wanted to uh, talk about this game in like a theatrical concept would be to think about it in the in the context of a tragedy, right? Like, yeah, there is there is a set of circumstances which uh, includes the mental health of the main character, but there is a set of circumstances that means that the the outcome of this story is in some ways predetermined within a certain set of parameters. Um, but it's still worth going through that to see how it plays out and what it shows you along the way. Actually, like, I think you're right, right? Like, just to drag this on towards the closing point. But like, <laughs> this but is like, why you we, listen to the podcast, so you get the long version. Uh, like, so if we if we frame this game in the, like, um, framework of a tragedy, right? Um either Greek or Shakespearean, take your pick. Because they're, they're, they're kind of echoes the of The thing both. is that the Greek one is slightly thicker and more sour. Yes. Um, uh, but, like, we have this point where, like, at the start of the game, your squ- like, Walker is a cool, calm, tactical uh, um, operator. He is, like, like his forward momentum is the thing that carries him through a lot of situations and does him very well, uh, does him, uh, you know, does him in good standing, you know, it's, it's yeah, like the, the, the beginning of the game, you do feel pressure, particularly if you play it on like normal or harder, but you you do feel like a a combat effective badass um and albeit like a pain in the ass to get them to work properly your team commands do make you feel like you have this uh highly trained unit at your disposal doing cool operator stuff and and dominating the opposition yeah you are like a, a stone cold killer and operator right and by a, the midpoint of the game, like the 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 point where of no return, the white phosphorus moment. Firstly, you have a Greek chorus there of like Lugo and Adams going, "This is a bad idea. This is a really bad idea. This is a really bad idea." But that tragic flaw of being, you know, 
the the operator the mission the mission the mission the mission and and also like the conditioned um both the character and the player to be like i am the white savior protagonist of this story therefore what i do is uh going to be correct because if it's not the story can't progress yeah and like i'm insane right um you know like that's that's his tragic floor and then we and then like as you say the like it's all kind of written in fate as it would be in a in a in a like a greek tragedy but it's important that we all watch it play out yeah yeah i want to make one final point against this game before we sign off and this is one that i think is understandable but also in some ways weakens its case but um, i i do believe in in streamlining a story for a specific medium and sometimes that means that you have to leave out stuff that's germane uh if you want a really good example of that go watch the movie let the right one in it is um a affecting horror romance about a like I think he's 11 or 12 year old boy who falls in love with his next door neighbor. Um, and it turns out she's an immortal vampire. Uh, and it all takes place in Sweden and it's very black and grim. Um, well, I mean, it's like heartwarming and gross at the same time in a way that's very interesting. And then go and read the book of the same name that the movie is based on. The book has so much more stuff in it, including uh, explaining some sort of weird behavior by a main character in, or a like large looming supporting character in the movie by the fact that that character in the book is a pedophile who is being like bribed with the promise of sexual favors to do things and gets like distracted by his urges sometimes, which like puts him in bad situations. The point is that explaining all of that stuff in the context of the movie would have turned it into like uh, a 10 part TV series because you couldn't do justice to it in the straightforward flow of like an hour and a half movie. Similarly in this game, all of the focus is on violence and I get that that is because the, um, the main verb of, of shooters, uh, military shooters included is shoot. Um, but that is not the sole vector of harm of armed conflict. Uh, and the fact that this game uh, kind of elides out of existence all of the like famine and sexual violence and uh, it doesn't really get rid of the consequences of infrastructure dis- destruction because you participate in some. But like there is a whole – broader category of war harms uh and i think particularly like the sexual violence part of it that this game just does not deal with at all and i i I want to forgive it because uh on the one hand i want to forgive it because it's trying to encapsulate what it's doing in a very 
economical way. But on the other hand, I think that uh, taking on the moral depravity of war per se and limiting that to just talking about violence is like that is a, a limiting lens which tends to undermine the fundamental horror of warfare. Yeah. Yeah, like I think, as you say, they did their best that they could in like 2012 as the subsidiary of 2K games. Yeah, and um, and if the press had been like, there is rape in this game that you need to deal with the consequences of, that I can I can absolutely see how that would have derailed the conversation. Um, yeah. And and it would have uh, thrown the game into uh, SJW discourse in a in a way. I, I, do you remember the SJW wars of the twenty yeah, yeah. um, tens? Uh, in a way which would have absolutely like derailed all other possible conversations. So I can absolutely understand why they didn't do any of that stuff. I just, uh, as I say, feel like in some ways it, well, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where uh, it it feels like a a high school essay rather than a university essay, if you like. Uh, You know, it it feels like your your critique is correct, but incomplete. That's that's it. But like, again, right, like how much... How much critique can you get into a video game? Yeah, right? absolutely, absolutely. And there is a virtue in deciding to do one thing in a coherent way rather than 57 things in an incoherent way. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for talking today, Gus. Uh, again, like if you have the stomach for quite visceral violence and you can get hold of this game and you somehow have listened to all of this without playing it, I would reservedly recommend that you do so you will be frustrated with the moment to moment gameplay but this is a case where i would suggest that you persevere and uh and push on through have you other things gus that you would recommend that people check out that do a similar like walk a similar tightrope of like critiquing and portraying violence at the same time uh, not that I can bring to mind. Okay, um, I would I would suggest that a game that plays with some similar ideas, although it's a very different moment-to-moment experience and in a lot of ways more abstracted, uh, would be the Hotline Miami series. That is a game series about getting really, 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 really good at uh, calculated violence while making that violence far, far gorier and more visceral than you would expect (laughs) in like a top-down sprite-based game Um, and also like does some stuff about messing around with the player's perspective in a way that's quite interesting even if it's a hell of a lot like cartoonier than this game. Yeah. 
let me just quickly think while I scroll through if you're, my Steam library. Um, also, if you're into, like, uh, if you're willing to indulge in PS3-era third-person action games, I did mention Max Payne 3. I would suggest playing Max Payne 3. Um, it is a game that sets itself some really ambitious goals in terms of, like, talking about addiction and talking about American adventurism and talking about violence. And I don't know that it achieves those goals the way that it hopes to, but it makes a really interesting attempt. And also I think that uh, people have fundamentally underestimated how uh, how – uh, clever and envelope pushing in terms of like let's try and do something interesting with this one guys each successive Max Payne game has been yeah um, Receiver 2 is okay. a game that I'll put here it is a very simplistic shooting puzzle game question mark you are put in a procedurally generated um, uh, level where there are turrets that you need to shoot with painstakingly realistic guns. You need to open, if you have a revolver, you need to open the revolver, drop the, open the cylinder, drop all the cartridges out, manually load them, put them back in, Spin the thing so you're there. If you haven't done something right, if you have your gun cocked and try and put it away, it will shoot you. Um, while you collect tapes, which are meditations on kind of conspiracy and violence, um, there's a huge trigger warning of like, uh, suicide in that game because one of the failure states is you shoot yourself but like it's it's really a very interesting and compelling game and very interesting to compare to uh, modern shooter games because again right each of the guns th do things like jam and you have to like rack the slide repeatedly to try and unjam them and you have to like maintain and like actually interact with the object of a gun rather than just have it as a like a you know item slot as it was that sounds fascinating i will uh potentially go and investigate that uh probably once i am done with disco elysium which is currently turning my brain inside out um Thank you once again for coming and talking on the show. Uh, this has been uh, a really, really fun discussion. You've been listening to Reserved Recommendations, a radio show and podcast from Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irurangi o Tangata o Manawatu. The show was produced and presented by me, Hugh Dingwall, and I also composed our theme music. It's called Sack Jazz, and you can find it at wolfboy.bandcamp.com. 
If you enjoyed this show, why not go ahead and share it with a friend? You can find the last 10 episodes at npr.nz slash show slash reserved or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you want an episode older than that, try searching for Reserved Recommendations on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at Objective Realty, or you can follow the show on Facebook. And finally, Two People's Radio is a non-profit community access station. If you like this or any other piece of their fine audio programming, why not fling them a dollar or two? You can go to npr.nz slash donate for more information on how to do that. 